this event of the ascension of our Lord Jesus from earth uh, to be seated at the right hand of God the Father in glory. As I said, it's, it's really a modern tendency in the church to, to view the ascension as sort of a, a peripheral event in the ministry of Jesus, not something that's at the center of His ministry, but something on the periphery. Uh, if we were to ask Christians what the significance of Jesus' ascension is, they might find it hard to give you an answer. They might say, well, it's useful, I suppose. Jesus had to get to the Father somehow. But in fact, they might conclude in the end that it's an ultimately an unnecessary step in the overall ministry of Jesus Christ. But it's important for us to recognize tonight that that as much as this doctrine of the ascension is, is neglected, or you might say underemphasized within the church today, um, that has not been the case historically. For most of the life of the church, in fact, the ascension of Jesus has been treasured. It's been emphasized by Christians over the centuries. We think, for example, of some of the earliest creeds of the Christian church, the creeds that we hold to and, and frequently confess, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. These creeds emphasize the ascension of Christ as much as the resurrection. They speak of it as an historical event that, that has very important implications for our relationship with God. Or we think of our Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism devotes no less than four questions and answers to the ascension of Jesus Christ, compare that with the resurrection, which receives one question and answer. And I hope you all have the chance today or sometime soon to read Lord's Day 18, because it beautifully explains how Christ's ascension into heaven benefits us as believers. Well, tonight, uh, as we look at this passage from Acts chapter 1 and others, I want to focus our attention on three particular aspects of Jesus' ascension or His, His exaltation into heaven. And I want to do that tonight so that we will uh, grasp the importance of the power and the importance of this event in the ministry of Jesus Christ. But not only that, um, but that we would also embrace and benefit from the glorious significance of Christ's ascension for our salvation, for our Christian life. Uh, we take our cue tonight from Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11, but I want to use this passage also as a jumping-off point uh, to look at other portions of God's Word that show how Jesus' ascension really fulfilled biblical expectation. Why did Jesus ascend First, note with me tonight that He ascended to continue His ministry, to continue His ministry. You know, we're tempted to think that the ascension of our Lord signaled the completion or the end of His ministry on earth. But notice how Dr. Luke begins the book of Acts here in verses 1 and 2. He says, as he writes to his friend, his acquaintance, Theophilus, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. And the key word here is all that Jesus began to do and teach. 
Luke says to his friend Theophilus, my gospel account, my first book of Jesus' ministry on earth was just the beginning. Now in this this second volume, this sequel volume, I'm writing to you about all that Jesus continued to do through his chosen apostles. Jesus' ascension doesn't signal the completion of His work. It signals a new stage, a continuation of His work as the Savior who is reconciling sinners to God. He's continuing His work from heaven through His people by the work, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, just as He promised His disciples while He was still on earth among them. If we were to turn back to John 14, we'd see that Jesus was beginning to tell His disciples that He was going to leave them, that He was going to be crucified, that He would die, that He would leave them, that He would go to prepare a place for them. And part of that promise of Jesus to His disciples was that He would give them a helper. He said to them in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, Jesus says, for He dwells within you and will be with you. And then He says in what I think is one of the most beautiful portions of the Gospels, He says to His disciples to comfort their aching hearts, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. Now, perhaps his disciples wondered at Jesus' words. Jesus, you've just said you're going away, but you will come to us? You will come to us? Yes, yes, because it's the Spirit of Jesus Christ whom he has given to live in each and every one of his children. By his Spirit, Jesus is not absent from us for even a moment, even though His body is now with the Father in heaven. And it was this glorious news, this glorious comfort that would fuel the apostles' ministry, that is, Jesus' ministry through His apostles. After His resurrection, Jesus told His disciples in Luke 24, verse 49, we read that this evening, He said to them, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And we know that that promise was fulfilled on Pentecost morning, on that morning uh, when the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in the languages of the nations that were gathered there in Jerusalem. Peter stood up and he addressed the crowd there that day with a sermon. And he explained in that sermon that Christ's ascension, His going to the Father, His entrance into glory was simply the next step in His ministry on earth through the Holy Spirit. We read from Acts 2, part of Peter's sermon, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing today. And for the apostles... This promise of the special outpouring of the Holy Spirit to guide them in all truth was was a fulfillment of an ancient promise made through the prophet Joel that God would pour out His Spirit 
on all flesh. And until Christ returns again, Jesus is still speaking. He's still working in the world by the Spirit of truth through the proclamation of the gospel to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And by that same Holy Spirit, our ascended Lord is present with each and every one of us, and He is daily transforming us to live new lives that reflect our King and the righteousness of His kingdom. That's the wonderful uh, reality that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. Let me read a few verses about the ongoing work of our Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit in the lives of believers. He's not absent from us for a moment. Look what the Apostle says, "'You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness.'" If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And then he goes on to say this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit of Christ Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. When Christ went to be with the Father by His ascension, He did not leave us, but He sent us His very Spirit as a helper, as a comforter, as a paraclete as one who is transforming us according to His very image. He's not absent from us for even a moment. He's continuing His ministry in our midst. Why did Jesus ascend? Secondly, He ascended to be enthroned as King, to be enthroned as King. Jesus' ascension uh, is His return to the Father after having accomplished our redemption as he, as he humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of crucifixion. And upon arriving home to the heavenly courts in victory, there He is coronated as the true King of the world. That's what we confess in our Apostles' Creed. We confess He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We read in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, that Jesus was, was taken up to heaven in a cloud. And we're reminded of the words of the Christian martyr Stephen, who declared in Acts 7, 56, that he saw the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. And when we piece all of those Scriptures together, we're reminded that Jesus, by His ascension, fulfilled the glorious prophecy of Daniel in chapter 7, 13 to 14. There Daniel saw in a night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion 
and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You see, the ascension teaches us that that Jesus' kingdom, His his sovereign rule over heaven and earth, can never be destroyed. It will never pass away. We're reminded of that in Revelation 3, 21, where we're given a vision of Jesus as the great conqueror who sits down with His Father on His throne, where He is praised in the courts of heaven forever and ever by the angels and the saints above. And there, 1 Corinthians 15 says, there he must reign until he has put all of his enemies and ours under his feet. We see then that God's kingdom has been inaugurated through the ascension and enthronement of Jesus who even now sits on heaven's throne and will one day consummate his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven when He returns as King and Judge. And brothers and sisters, that comforts our hearts tremendously. It gives us tremendous comfort. We may wonder sometimes how Christ's promise to to be with us always to the very end of the age can possibly be squared with His ascension into heaven. We wonder, isn't He actually not with us? or at least somehow less present with us now than he was when he walked the streets of Palestine. But in fact, John Calvin helps us to understand that though Christ truly is bodily in heaven, by ascending to the right hand of the Father, he now rules over all things with a power even more present than before. Look what Calvin says. He says, thus being received into heaven, Christ removed His bodily presence from our sight, but not so as to leave believers without help who still have to live on the earth, but to rule the world with a power even more present than before. Certainly His promise to be with us to the end of the age has been fulfilled by His ascension. For as by it His body was lifted above all the heavens, so its power and effectiveness reach far beyond all bounds of heaven and earth. Christ's ascension then is the fulfillment of Jesus' kingly promise to be with us always even to the end of the age. What a tremendous, tremendous encouragement. Finally, why did Jesus ascend to be with the Father. He ascended to serve, to continue to serve as our mediator and our high priest. The Apostle Paul, in writing to his young protege, Timothy, writes in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And throughout his entire ministry on earth, we think especially of his, his death and his resurrection, Christ labored as our mediator to to secure the forgiveness of our sins, to secure our justification, our reconciliation with God. 
But as part of that ministry of reconciliation, Jesus also ascended into heaven in order to intercede for us as a mediator for His people, as our true high priest and advocate. That's also part of His work as a mediator. That's part of His ascension. It's in the ascension that we learn that Jesus passed through the heavens to enter the true temple, one not made with human hands. Unlike earthly priests, we know Jesus did not have to offer sacrifices for His own sin, but He offered Himself as the once-for-all sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And it's in the ascension that Jesus passes through the heavens and presents His completed work to the Father, and He takes up His priestly labors in heaven on our behalf. There He always lives to make intercession for us. There He hears and He responds to our prayers. There from heaven He sympathizes with our weaknesses and our struggles. And He promises to do for us whatever we ask in His name by faith. And so with such a mediator and high priest interceding for us in heaven, We are all called to embrace the encouraging call of Romans 4, 14 to 16. We read there, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How blessed we are to know that our ascended prophet, priest, and king always lives to make intercession for us. Praise God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the glorious ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks that because He has gone up and is in heaven for us, we need not fear living in this world. Oh Lord, it is true that our earthly life is sometimes beset with trouble and misery and disappointment. And yet in the midst of these temporary trials, we know that we should not be astonished or preoccupied by our own circumstances, but we can look to our prophet, priest, and king who is already in heaven, and we can confess, although I am weak, there in heaven for me is Jesus Christ, who is powerful enough to make me stand. Although I am feeble, there in heaven for me is Jesus Christ, who is my strength. Although there is misery in my life, Jesus Christ dwells in immortal glory, and what He has will someday soon be given to me, and I will partake in all His benefits. Oh Lord, we know that this world is filled with devils to be sure, but what of it? Jesus Christ rules above, having entire control of the battle, and we need not doubt that He gives us the victory in Him. 
But Lord, we know that our life here is subject to many changes, which may cause us to lose courage. But what of it? The Son of God is our head, in whom there is no shadow due to change. And so let us, Lord, take confidence in Him and apply the benefits of His ascension to ourselves in faith. Amen. Our song of response comes from the Songs of Praise book, number nine. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Let's stand together and sing all of these stanzas, number nine. We want to give of our gifts and offerings now for Crossroads Ministries, if the deacons would please rise to take those offerings.
Let's uh, sing praise to our ascended Lord once again, turning in our Psalter hymnals to number 125, rendition of Psalm 68. O Lord, Thou hast ascended on high and might to reign. Let's stand together and sing all four of these stanzas, number 125. Saints of God, look up now to receive the parting blessing of our gracious God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.